Hi, I'm Dr. Andrea Wittenborn. I'm a professor of human development and family studies and of psychiatry and behavioral medicine at Michigan State University. And I'll be talking about mapping and estimating the feedback loops of depression. I wanted to start off by just asking you why we're so bad at treating depression. <laughs> um, you know, even the best interventions we have only work for half of people if we're lucky. Why is that? You know, this is a really tough question that a lot of people have invested a lot of time in trying to resolve and, and figure out. And I think that, you know, um, depression is just a very complex disorder and we continue to learn more and more about its complexity. And we know that, you know, there are changes there are like multiple mechanisms that are driving different changes or different drivers of illness i guess you could say and they um you know these different mechanisms change over different time spans to create this disorder that we know of as depression and we know it's very heterogeneous so there was an interesting study that was done that looked at about um 3700 participants and looked at the symptom profiles of those people and found that actually fewer than 2% of participants actually endorsed the same symptom profile. And 14% of people um, exhibited completely unique profiles of symptoms, which is just fascinating to me. I mean, it's really experienced very differently by people. And that makes it really tough to treat <laughs> um, when people come in with very different types of experiences and we don't have the clinical guidance yet to, and the, the science to tell us exactly how to treat different presentations of depression, then, um, you know, we're only going to be so effective. So we know that you know, it just um, a lot of treatments we'll see about 50, maybe 60% um, effectiveness. And um, that's because people are coming in with such different experiences. That certainly rings true for me. I think when I got depressed a few years ago, the main symptom was anger more than anything else. And that's not necessarily something that other people experience. And there are so many potential symptoms, as you say. I think most people who've experienced it would relate to that. Yeah, it makes it really difficult as a clinician. And, you know, we're trying to um, determine, you know, are there better treatments for people based on the different types of experiences they're having? And, and it makes sense. And there's some literature to suggest, you know, if, if your depression is being caused by or is predominantly, you know, exhibited in, in a certain way, um, maybe there's uh, social, you know, relationships that, um, you know, are, are really being stretched thin, then a treatment that would target, you know, that in particular for that person may be the best approach. Um, and, but we just don't have much, much research yet to, to quite parse that out, to have clear clinical guidance. And the conference in Amsterdam is a is an urban mental health conference, but it's a conference that's bringing together 
a lot of scientists who are broadly interested in complexity science. Um, and as you say, this is a very complex area. You've developed this system for, for mapping the mechanisms of depression and their interactions. So you're, you're trying to create a solution to this complexity. Can you tell us a bit about that, what that mapping has involved and what it means? Well, what we found was that, you know, because of the heterogeneity of depression, you know, we really need to look at ways to personalize therapy and um, treatments for depression. And so we took a look at the literature to see how were people doing this. And there are some different methods that people were using. Um, there were groups that were working to identify subtypes of depression to see if, you know, certain, um, you know, symptom profiles or types of depression could be um, identified and then possibly treated in different ways. But that research hasn't really panned out, um, you know, and, and it doesn't surprise you based on what I just shared that, you know, fewer than 2% actually share a similar profile of symptoms. Um, other people tried methods of like matching characteristics of people. So patients who came in as depressed, if they had certain characteristics at the beginning um, of therapy, then they would try to match those characteristics to a specific type of therapy model. And um, those showed some favorable responses, but, uh, you know, there's a, a long um, timeline where that type of research could be helpful because if you're looking at a lot of different variables and a lot a lot of different treatments and trying to you know target and determine the best matching method um, it, it can take a while for, and um, you know some others looked at things like meta-analysis and they actually did an analysis to see how long it would take to um, try to find personalized approaches to to treating people and they determined it would take another 326 years of research to have sufficient statistical power to actually um, you know show an effect size of 0.5 to show kind of a um, a treatment that would moderately work for people. So we thought, well, that doesn't seem fast enough for us. <laughs> so we looked into um, some other methods and, and um, became really interested in the system dynamics method for um, modeling. And, and it has a lot of benefits. So you can use this method to actually um, develop models and quantify them based on existing data. And then in simulation, try to test, um, you know, different interventions for different patients, depending on their profile, and try to simulate the effects, you know, through simulation experience, experiments, try to simulate the effects of these different interventions. So we wanted to see if we could um, you know, do this for depression. It had been done more at a policy level. There hadn't been as many um, attempts at an individual level and hadn't been, in, you know, any um, individual level depression work. And so we developed first this qualitative model where we tried to map the different mechanisms or drivers of illness to see if um, we could get a better sense of the um, 
you know, systemic complexity of depression and the feedback between uh, different variables that are driving the illness. So what my understanding from what you've just said, and do correct me if I'm wrong, is that what we're moving towards here is a situation where we can diagnose somebody with depression, but diagnose them with a specific set of symptoms that maybe we know will be most helped by a combination of interventions. I guess at the moment, the evidence is quite poor in that regard, isn't it? We know that antidepressants and cognitive behavior therapy in combination is probably the best approach for the you know the population as a whole but we don't really know what a 52 year old man who likes dogs and music and is angry in his depression and is struggling with relationships or whatever it might be is likely to find most helpful is that kind of where you're going and if it is how are you going to test this out so that you can prove that that approach is worth exploring further yeah well that that's a great question and we do have our work cut out for us but yes the clinical guidance right now from the national institute of health and care excellence says that for mild to moderate depression that psychotherapy is the best treatment and then for severe depression that psychotherapy and antidepressants um, or even like an um, ect electroconvulsive therapy would be the best approach Um, but what's interesting is we know that you know, about half of people who begin uh, um, their first, you know, psychotherapy for depression improve, um, or sometimes a little more. But um, we see that about half of those who fail that first one actually improve when they try a second approach. Um, The problem is that about 75% of people drop out after their first time trying therapy. So we do know that, you know, when we switch people, we see this with the antidepressants as well, that, um, you know, maybe the first one doesn't work, but, you know, about half of the people get better once they try a second one. And so we know that there's some indicators that different people respond to treatments differently. And um, so our hope is that this through this simulation method that we could actually test different, um, you know, profiles of, uh, and this, this is really mapping to the mechanisms that drive depression. So it's a a little bit different than, um, you know, a symptom approach, but, uh, and this is more of a, a, a feedback system. So looking at it and its complexity and how the different, um, drivers kind of, propel the, um, the illness into vicious cycles for people. So our goal is to quantify this model and then attempt to use it in simulation to test different treatment targets. So we've started doing this. We've developed a couple of quantitative models. We, we know that, for example, um, that the you know, HPA axis um, it has uh, plays a role in driving depression. And we know that things like rumination and stress um, drive depression as well. And so we've been able to use some existing data <laughs> to develop quantitative models. Um, and particularly for the model of uh, stress, rumination and depression, 
we were able to quantify that and um, you know do a lot of uh, validation sensitivity tests. And then in simulation, we looked at 36 different patient profiles and we ran some experiments. Um, now these were pretty, you know, early experiments. We looked at things like um, what would happen if a person received a, um, you know, mindfulness type of intervention six months after their first episode, two years, four years, or eight years after their first episode, because we know that people wait often a long time before receiving treatment. So we wanted to test, you know, what would happen if people came in earlier? Um, we also ran an experiment to see things like, um, you know, what would happen if we targeted rumination and we decreased it in a way that's similar to what the literature tells us that this mindfulness intervention does. And so we we're actually in, able to, in simulation, to develop a test where we applied that intervention, um, you know, and, and tested how these 36 different types of people responded to it over the course of time. Uh, we also tested where, you know, in simulation, where we applied an additional stressful event um, and then the intervention and, and what would happen. And so, um, you know, in simulation and in this system dynamics method, one of the biggest things you can do is test what would happen if, and um, you can develop lots of ideas about treatment targets or combinations of treatments that would be, um, you know, difficult to test on different on the exact same people, you know, in real life, because you can't wash away treatment effects. But here we have these 36 different types of people and we can test lots of different interventions on them and see which one comes out to be, you know, the most effective for them. Um, so it's, I think a really exciting path, but there's a lot of work ahead to make sure that, you know, it can be um, effective and useful. And this is kind of transdiagnostic in many ways, isn't it? This sort of approach. It's not necessarily just relative to depression. I imagine this is very relative to anxiety and all sorts of other conditions. Well, it's interesting that you say that because we've definitely had a lot of people reach out to us saying, well, you know, this applies so well to what I'm doing with anxiety or with, you know, um, even PTSD, or there've been uh, a lot of different research groups that have reached out to our team and, um, you know, have, have found a lot of similarities with what they're doing. I think we set out to focus on, on depression. Um, you know, it's, of course, um, the you know leading cause of disability, one of the most common disorders, and there's a lot of literature on it, and so that helps when you're trying to build a um, valid model to be able to rely on you know good research to build it, and then to um, use existing data to to quantify and test and simulation different interventions. So I certainly think that that um, it could apply to a variety of, of problems. And um, I, yeah, I, I'm excited to see what, what others do with this work as well. If people are listening to this and interested in finding out more about your work, where would you recommend they start? 
Yes. Well, I think that um, the best place to start would be our 2016 article in psychological medicine. It's called Depression as a Systemic Syndrome, Mapping the Feedback Loops of Major Depressive Disorder. And that really sets out the frame of um, the qualitative model and how we are understanding the systemic complexity of depression. And then another good place to turn would be our article in PLOS One, in, which was published in 2018, called Modeling and Estimating the Feedback Mechanisms Among Depression, Rumination, and Stressors in Adolescence. And that article shows our um, first attempts at um, quantifying this model of stress, rumination, and depression. Mm-hmm.